This episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 254th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Old Town Spring, which is a city just outside of Houston in Texas. We're going to be joined by our listener, Dolly Ruther, who spent some time there and talked to a lot of the shopkeepers and has all kinds of stories to share with us. She was absolutely delightful. I think you guys are really going to enjoy her as well. Before we get into talking about that, I do want to address how we have started the show here with just me hosting. For those of you who are not a part of the Spooktacular crew, you're out of the loop. But History Goes Bump is now going to be solo hosted by yours truly. Denise has been my co-host on History Goes Bump for the last three and a half years, and I have thoroughly enjoyed having her on here. I know many of you have enjoyed her as well. She really was the heart of the show, and I enjoyed her quips, but she is taking a step back from the show, and uh, for now will not be joining me. I'm hoping she changes her mind in the future, but the reason for this decision is because of a very personal thing going on in our lives. Denise and I have been together for 24 years, and we recently separated and are moving towards divorce. And so that is why the show is now moving to a solo operation. We do want to thank those of you who are already in the know about that for all of the love and support that you've sent out to us. We really, really appreciate it as we move through this really difficult time that I'm sure many of our listeners have been through yourselves. It's definitely not fun, but I think it will be for the best in the future for both of us. Denise is going to continue with her spooky traveling, and I think she has something in the works about making up a little company to do that. So if you were going to be going on the Key West trip, that is still on. She still will be hosting that, and I'm sure she's probably still going to be doing the Northern California trip. It just won't be associated with History Ghost Bump. It's going to be a separate thing, but I will keep you in the loop. I'll be promoting that for her and everything. So if you are interested in doing that kind of thing, you will get to do that in the future. All right, so let's get into welcoming those of you who have joined us in the Spooktacular crew over the last week. That would be Jillian, who spells her name with a Y-A-N, Lynette, Maddie with an I, Stuart, Cheryl, Mike, Roger with a D-G, Kim, Brian, Emily, Barbara Ann, Jenny with an I, and LaVon. And now, this moment, Naughty. In 1754, war broke out between the French and English. They were fighting over ownership of the Ohio Valley, and both sides reached out to various Native American tribes for aid in their efforts. Cherokee villages were raided by rival tribes loyal to the French, while Cherokee warriors were out fighting for the English. 
The Overhill Cherokees demanded that the English provide their villages with more protection, so the English built Fort Luden, which was located at the mouth of the Teleco River on the south bank of the Little Tennessee. The French began to lose, so they changed tactics and told the Cherokee that the English would eventually drive them from their lands, but they promised that they had no interest in settling Cherokee lands. This caused the Cherokee to switch sides in 1759, and they raided English settlements. They eventually laid siege to Fort Luton. An officer who was wounded in the fight staggered into a Native American village. The chief took pity on him, and his daughter, Nokatala, nursed the officer back to health. The two fell in love, and the officer was accepted into the tribe and given the name Conestago. Soon he and Nakatula were married. There was a problem, though. Another member of the tribe was in love with Nakatula, and he hated white men. One day, he plunged a knife deep into Conestago's chest. Nakatula found him dying and pledged her eternal love to him, and then she plunged a knife into her own chest. The chief buried the couple, and in Conestago's hand he placed an acorn, and in his daughter's he placed a hackberry. These two seeds grew into healthy trees and thrived for over 150 years before they eventually died. People in the town planted two more of the same trees over the graves, but they died, and the legend claims that the couple rejected the replacements. Today, the stumps of the original trees remain as symbols of the couple's everlasting love, and if this legend is actually true, it certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. In the month of April, on the 5th, in 1856, African-American educator Booker T. Washington was born a slave in Franklin County, Virginia. Washington was nine years old when the Civil War ended. He taught himself the alphabet and worked as a houseboy for a white family where he learned many of his values. He was educated at Hampton Institute, one of the earliest freedmen's schools devoted to industrial education. He went on to one of his greatest endeavors when he founded Tuskegee Institute in 1881. This was a black school in Alabama devoted to industrial and moral education and to the training of public school teachers. He created a national political network of schools and became black advisor to Presidents Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft. His widely read autobiography, Up From Slavery, is a classic. Washington's health deteriorated in 1915, and he was diagnosed by two different doctors with having Bright's disease. He was told he only had a few days to live, and he asked to be taken to Tuskegee to die. He made it there on November 14, 1915, and died a few hours later at the age of 59. He was buried on the campus of Tuskegee University near the University Chapel. Old Town Spring is just outside Houston in Texas and started as a railroad boomtown in the mid-1800s then became a farming community that grew cotton and sugarcane and various other crops, but those were the two main ones. This was followed by a saloon town, and finally today, it's a quaint shopping district full of historic buildings brought in from other towns. This is home to the Texas Heritage Festival and Texas Crawfish Festival, which I'm looking forward to checking out eventually. I love crawfish. It is also home to a plethora of ghosts, both young and old. Each shop seems to have its own story. 
Listener Dolly Ruther is going to join us to share her experiences with the history and haunting of Old Town Spring. Well, we are joined by our listener, Dolly Ruther, and she is the one who suggested Old Town Spring to us. And uh, she's going to come on and share the history and hauntings about it. How are you, Dolly? I'm great. I feel like I should say, hello, Dolly. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing we like to ask people, and we know you are a big time paranormal enthusiast. Why are you so interested in the paranormal? Well, I guess I always have been. I mean, all my life, I kind of grew up with it. My grandmother and my beautiful Aunt Bernice were both sensitives. And my grandmother was one of these people that she always had a a POTUS or a remedy for something. And from very, very early in my life, I remember anytime being afraid or something bothering me or something, she'd always implanted in me to say if something was I was afraid of to just say, in God's name, go away. And I always, I always used it anytime I I was afraid. And I actually taught it to my children. And even in situations that you can't control, you just lean on that. And that's how I became really interested in it all. Very cool. So did you have experiences or were you just scared because you were scared? Well, Right now, I, I, I think I have, I, it, right now I'm in the process of uh, reconnecting with cousins and people from my past to verify that some of these things happened or if it's just a, a child memory that got blown out of shape. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, before I ever committed to saying, yes, this happened or that happened, I'm connecting with other people and saying, do you remember the time this happened or did I dream that? So I, I'm doing that first. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, we have been through Texas, and we have never heard of Spring, Texas. Apparently, it's near Houston. Is that right? Yes, it is. So can you describe the city to us? Is it a big city, a little city? I got a little bit of a history on it. Do you want to hear that? That would be great. Okay. Well, the first inhabitant, I'm probably really going to destroy these Indian names, but the first inhabitants were the Akokaswa and the Okokwais Indians. They were the first ones there. And then in the 1820s, there were some Austin colonists that moved up into the area. And in the 1840s, that brought in some German immigration. And then in 1871, the railroad came and started calling it Spring Camp. And then when the Greater Northern Railroad made it a permanent settlement, they dropped the camp part and it just became Spring. 1915, there was a Category 4 hurricane that devastated the town. And then in 1923, the railroad moved out. They went to Houston, and that combined with the Prohibition and the Depression, the town was pretty much all but dead. But then in the 60s, some business-minded individuals just said, let's do something here. And they just started turning their homes into shops, which then led to, in 1969 through 1992, the Goodyear Airship America was based out of there. And in 1970, of course, the oil boom came and it gave it more life again. And then in the 80s, these same people that had turned their um, houses into shops started to promote it as a shopping destination. And they have a lot of unique shops and artist type things. And Denise would love this because it's a real hippie town. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's got all the, the places with the rocks and the crystals and the oils and the incense. And it's just, it's just wonderful. Sounds like a great place. Well, and they're also the home of the Texas Crawfish Festival. And every year they attract about 50,000 people there. I think we saw some signs about the Texas Crawfish Festival, it seems like, on our road trip. Yeah, I think so. 
Well, that's that's why. I mean, that's where it is. And then when it comes to the ghost part, you know, you wonder, like, I mean, everywhere. I mean, it's just like everywhere has something. And there's, I don't know, probably a hundred shops there. But I mean, everybody has a story about something. The how it all started was those two tribes that I mentioned were pushed and pushed and pushed farther and farther out. And their numbers get so low. There were so few of them left. They actually combined the two tribes to try to survive. And they literally wiped them out. There was only a few left. And when that happened, they cursed the town of Spring and said that anything built would be burned and any trees that were cut down would cause devastation to the town. And it's Yeah, pretty much a lot of things in spring have burnt down. Wow. I had heard that they say it is one of the most haunted towns in Texas. So that would be nice. I was going to say that I forgot to plug that first because it's the most haunted town in Texas and it is the ghost capital of Texas. Oh, wow. Boy, they, they don't fool around there. We are the most haunted and we're the ghost capital. They are. They absolutely are. Well, do we want to have you start talking about some of these shops that have things going on in them? Okay. Well, I, I kind of broke it down into kind of like the stories and then the shops where that they're going on. I mean, because when I said that this town has it all, it really does. I mean, the first one, they've got the Forbidden Couple. It was in the early 1900s. Maria Bailey traveled all the way to Spring to be with her loved one, Albert Fretzhold, I think was the name. But her father forbid them to be together. And of course, you know how that always works. Not well. Yeah. So they got married and they wound up being devoted to each other up until their deaths. And they didn't die until like in the 1970s. And they loved music and they loved dancing. And she had a crank Victrola that is now housed at the Spring Historical Museum. And it is said to randomly play. And under full moon, people have supposedly seen the couple dancing outside. Oh, well, that's kind of a neat story. I like that one. Yeah, and they lived until the 1970s? Yeah, it was wow. in like after the 1900s when she went there. So that, they were like in their 90s when, wow. when, they, when they passed away. Okay. And then we got the creepy doll stories. Oh, great. Heather's yes, going to love this. Well, there's a place there. It's called the Doll Hospital. And the oldest doll that they still have there is from the 1700s. And actually, one of the Ghostbuster places, uh, the filming went on there and on a Frank's box, they picked up voices and all kinds of things supposedly happened in there. But the owner of the place, she's like, no, we don't pay any attention to that. That, that That's not real. You know, she's, she just she just brushes it all off. But they have, I mean, everybody dresses in like doctor's outfits and there's like little gurneys in the back and all these dolls come in from all over the world. I mean, she is is just well known for lovingly mending these dolls back together again. So it was pretty neat visiting with her. Next door or two doors down, there's a place called Kudos. And it has a doll in the window that people swear changes expressions. Now, I saw the photos, but I don't remember where I saw them. I don't know if they were in the shop or if they, I don't know where I saw them, but there was three pictures of this doll. And one, it just looks like a doll. The next one, the mouth is open just slightly. And then the third picture, you can almost see like there's a baby tooth. Yeah, in the doll's mouth. No, thank you. They've got a lot of ghost stuff like that. I mean, doll stuff like that. Okay, there was a traveling carnival because, of course, back in the day, and there was a man and 
a boy. They don't know if it was his father or his grandfather. But there was a malfunction, and the boy fell from the Ferris wheel and died. Mm. And there's, it's called Gentry Square. It's an area, oh, it's like a little mall area that sets off and supposedly people see a little boy that he appears he's looking for someone and then and a man also as if the the two of them are trying to find each other Mm, that's a horrible horrible thing to have happen oh i know okay then everybody always has to have those ghost stories about children laughing and running and hearing footsteps and that there's a place called the envy wine room and spent some time in there visiting with them. And remember when I told you that spring was cursed, that their buildings would burn? Yes. Well, they they came up with a great plan. Instead of building the buildings there, they would move buildings in from other places. And some of the buildings that they moved in are really bizarre. This place was an abandoned boys' home. Now, I don't know if that meant boys' orphanage home or mm-hmm. boys' detention home. But anyway, this building was was moved in. And there's just so many accounts of people hearing children running and laughing and, and you know, things getting knocked over and stuff. But, you know, one of these little fright facts, half of the children in spring at one time were killed from yellow fever. So there are a lot of the children's stories. But in the Envy Wine Room, the girl that waited on me that day and we visited, it's her mom and stepfather that owned the building. And she had told me that like when they were first moving in, they had put up this wine rack and they had all these wine bottles and stuff. And they, they were just beat from the night and they sat down and they're, they're wondering, you know, should we keep working? Should we go home? What should we do? And this bottle of wine just came out of the rack and went straight down on the floor and made this big divot in the floor. And I actually, in the pictures that I sent you, there's a picture of this divot in the floor from the, where this wine bottle had fallen. And she, she swears up and down that she saw it happen. It just shot straight out and then dropped straight down. I can't um, imagine oh. watching that happen. It's like, no, it's, uh, it's not like it just tipped over and... No, it, I mean, because they were laying on their side. The wine bottle was laying on its side and it oh, just okay. shot out and just dropped straight down. Um, also in this building, we have the infamous Lady in White and she is all in white and she has a bun in her hair and there it's believed that she kind of came along with the building too, that maybe she was a nurse when it was a boys in ho- boys home, or maybe she was a caretaker or something to that. Next ghost. Wow. Um, so they have a lot of stuff going on at that boys, old boys home. Yeah, they do. I mean, I spent some time there, you know, we, I did a few wine samples and <laughs> you know, we, we just visited and, you know, the more we started talking, you know, the more stories that, she, you know, she came out with. Then not too far from there is Ellen's Cafe and they have a prankster there and they believe because if you remember back that it was a railroad town. So a lot of the buildings, even that weren't boarding houses or anything, they rented rooms to the railroad workers. So it's believed that this one, this gentleman is a railroad worker and they've named him Henry, but he was just a prankster, moves keys, turns on stoves that should be turned off, turns them off when they're supposed to be on, uh, moves things in, in, in the cafe. And I don't know who came up with the idea, but they decided that they would pour him a cup of coffee and that they write notes and and stick them on the counter. And that if they did that, it kind of like kept him busy and he stopped pulling pranks on them. So every day they would just pour him his coffee. But it hit me later. There was three big letters that used to sit on the cafe counter and it spelled out eat. 
And when they would come in the next day, it would be reversed and it would say tea. Mm. So like maybe he wanted tea, not coffee. Yeah, he didn't want to eat something. He wanted to drink some tea. Yes, <laughs> maybe. But they finally stopped that too because they attached him to the wall. They attached the letters to the wall. I'm okay. not quite sure why they they didn't like him moving them around, I guess. But also in that same building, you can hear chickens and cats. Chickens? Why? And cats. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've... Well, you know what? We have told a story about a haunted chicken before, but wow, that's interesting. Then there's the next place is there's a lady in a rocking chair on the porch and a number of people have have seen it. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to get a picture of it, but it was the spring schoolhouse, which is now a fabric store. But before it was a schoolhouse, it was an army barracks. I mean, I don't know where they find these buildings, but it was an army barracks. And why some little old lady wants to rock on the porch of a schoolhouse or a fabric store or army barracks is beyond me. But supposedly that's that's the ghost that's there. And it wouldn't be a haunted town without a hanging tree and a hanging judge. There is a place called the Shabby Rose, and it's just a nice little place. Sells just what you'd think it would, uh, you know, like the the shabby sheet type stuff and you know handcrafted things. But it was the childhood home of the quote unquote hanging judge of um, that town, and the tree happened to be in his backyard. And there were a lot of renters of rooms from the railroad that rented rooms at, at that house because it had been turned into a boarding house. And people report all the time seeing curtains move or men peering out from the windows. How convenient is that to have the hanging tree right there for the hanging judge? I know, but it, he, but that was his childhood home. That wasn't, that was, you know, he didn't, he didn't live there when the hangings were going on. Oh, gotcha. And it, it's, it's really a very huge, old, spooky, spooky looking tree. <laughs> And now this one was the Candyman Killer. Now you've heard about Candyman's before, but a lot of, quite a few of the buildings that were moved to Spring were moved there from Houston Heights, which is a real slum tenement area out of Houston. And during the 70s, it was the home of Dean Coral. He was nicknamed the Candyman Killer, and he had killed at least 28 children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're wondering that if maybe he lived in one of these buildings, some maybe some of the deaths happened in these buildings, something was attached to these buildings because all of the buildings that had been moved from the Houston Heights seems to have problems. This is just and- fascinating that they've moved all of these buildings from all these different places. You know, this is the whole thing that gets me. It's like, okay, this is place is cursed, so we can't build buildings. So they go out and get buildings that are probably already cursed themselves or, or something's wrong with them. There's a place there called the Celtic Odyssey. And this was really neat because I, I had written it. I and mean, I have to mention the book that I read. It's Haunted Old Town Spring by Kathy Nance. And she's got a wonderful map in there, a walking tour. And she has all of the, the shops. I'm only touching on a few of them, believe me. But who owns them and what's there and the ghosts that inhabit them and, and stories behind it. And I really did my homework. I read up on all these things. So when I walked into each shop, I felt like, I knew what I was talking about. And I walked into this place, the Celtic Odyssey, and I said, hi, Sydney. And the guy behind the counter, he looks at me. He goes, have you been here before? And I said, no. I said, but don't you have a ghost named Sydney? And he goes, yes, I do. You know, and so we just got talking and I'm like, explain your 
happenings or things that have happened here. And he, they do tarot card reading there. And then there, there was another girl that was there. And all three of them came up and they were we were visiting. He said, well, biggest event that had happened to him was he had had a really bad weekend where, for some reason, three different people that had come into the shop had said, I can't believe you're here and you're a devil worshiper and, and what you're doing is wrong. And it, they didn't, you know, the, the tarot card thing, they thought that was bad. And, and they had, you know, like comical type, oh, the skulls and stuff. But it, it really wasn't, it's not, it wasn't a dark place at all. I mean, they had crystals and charms and, and things like that there. And he said it was like three different people that had come in that weekend. And he said, I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm I didn't come here to, to do this. And I, I, I think I'm just going to pack up and leave. And things started falling over. And all three of the people that were there were there the same time when this happened. Things started falling over. One was a, a line of clothes were hanging on a rod and the whole rod dropped to the ground. Things were just like the whole place was like somebody was shaking it. And he just said, all right, all right, I'll stay. And, and it, it quit. Everything quit. Oh, hmm. Did any of these uh, shop owners look at you kind of weird when you came in and started asking about ghosts? Well, they're very, they're very welcoming to it. I mean, they, they embrace this in, in their town. There were a few places that I walked in that, you know, I would, I would ask something about, you know, their ghost or whatever. And, and they were like, I don't know, but probably minimum wage high school kids that are there on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. And they're like, okay, she's whack. You know yeah. I mean? But, you know, for the most part, it was it was very it was very good doing that. Oh, and I told you, I, I wouldn't let you down. We did have a Bonnie and Clyde story there. There was the Spring State Bank, and it's a, now a an antique gift shop. And it depends on who tells the story, if Bonnie and Clyde were ever positively ID. But the true facts are, it was a bank. There's a vault there. I saw it, and it's crazy. It was a bank vault. And it's about the size of a wash pan. It's like, I can't even imagine what they could have put in that. It was smaller than most home vaults or safes. What? That you, oh, it was tiny. It was just <laughs> tiny. So all that, all that lines up. It was a bank. There's a vault. It was robbed. Time frame is correct. There's bullet holes in the front of the brick. And they swear it was, it was Bonnie and Clyde. But again, somebody else will tell you, well, no, it was Rob, but it wasn't Bonnie and Clyde. Well, but it sounds it's, more fun that it's Bonnie and Clyde. So we'll go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, too. <laughs> um, so with all these ghosts, we do have to ask, did you come across with any wearing parachute pants? Gosh, darn it. No. Uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't. If, and if I somebody was, like, was going to have that ghost, it would probably yeah, be Spring, Texas, somebody. just saying. No, I did not. But when I, I told you when I was walking into to places and just kind of acting like I knew what was going on. And so I walked into this place. It's called the Spotted Pony. And oh, my goodness, beautiful lady, Shirley Clayton. Miss Shirley was wonderful. I walk in and I start talking about things in the store and, and, and she looks and she says, well, I says, well, where is your picture of Sarah? And she's like, well, Sarah's right up there. And she's like, have you been here before too? And I was like, no, but I, I read about you in this book. And she goes, I'm in a book. And I said, yeah, you're in, you're in this, this haunted to old town spring book. And she says, really? So I pull open and I show her the pages, you know, and obviously Kathy had 
interviewed her, but I guess she didn't know it was already in a book. So I said, well, you know what, can I have your autograph? And so she signs her chapter of the book, you know, <laughs> and we get talking and stuff. And when you treat people that way, when you really respect them and, t- and treat them with nothing but kindness, they open all doors for you. I mean, she took me into rooms that weren't open to the rest of the public. I, I won't say the things that, you know, she allowed me to do because I wouldn't want somebody else to go back and say, well, you let this person do that. Sure. But she has the most unique picture of a little girl. And it, it's it's pretty large, maybe two foot by two foot. But it's not it's not framed square. It's like they've taken the frame and turned it into a diamond shape. So it, it's, it's rather odd. Surely it had ghosts at the last place that she was at. And she left there because it was it, it was too much for her. So she rented a different place. And when she got to this place, she found the picture of Sarah. And she she admits she named her that. It, she did, has no idea who, what her name is. There was just something she couldn't deal with yet about this picture. So she kind of put it in time out. She put it in a closet and hung it toward a wall. And it hung there for a while before she finally brought it out. And she had some friends help her hang it. And... Again, she says that her and I don't, somebody else that was working there and the gentleman that came and hung the picture, they, they swore that they saw the picture smile when they hung it up. So I'm in there and I'm just feeling silly and, and stuff. So it, the eyes do follow you. It's one of those. And I'm going back and forth, back and forth in the shop. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I swear, I swear I, I, it, it smiled. She smiled. I swear. Now, it was, was this is was this after you had all the wine samples earlier? Or? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so fun. It was just, you know, I mean, other people that are just coming in the store that, you know, because people shop there all the time and have mm-hmm. no idea about that this is this town's haunted, you sure. know. And, and so they're probably wondering, why is this crazy lady going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth looking at this picture? But that was that was a lot of fun. Did she smile? I don't know. But I, I it felt like she did. I, I felt something very positive from it. Now we have to have a saloon. We have to have a Wild West saloon. Does and it have the swinging doors and everything? No, but oh. it has those huge, like maybe 10 or 12 foot tall doors with glass in them. Okay. It was the One Chi Brothers Saloon, and One Chi is a name that they pretty much built Spring. I mean, they were they were a very prominent family. They owned most of the land and most of the shops. Really established family there. And this building is the oldest standing commercial structure there, and it's under renovation right now. I mean, under somebody trying to open it again, but I took pictures through the closed windows and you can see it's still 1800s furniture in there, the old bar with the brass rail. And you can tell it's all real. I mean, I just, I would have done anything to get inside there, but it, you know, it was closed. During the eighties, they had their heydays and that, that saloon actually served like 1300 burgers a week. Wow. And Clint Black and Lyle Lovett played there for nothing. Just came, loved loved the food, took stage. That town just embraces all of this stuff. You can tell that there's a lot of pride in that town. And they take the the curse and, and, and those things very, very serious. So... Keeping that building because it was a one sheet building and it is the you know the oldest commercial building. They're they're pretty picky about. Um, they're not going to let somebody come in and turn it into a 
Taco Bell. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're not going to yeah. let anybody modernize. So I, there's 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 different things why it hasn't been opened again. But I think that has a lot to do with it. Right outside the old saloon, there's railroad tracks. Now, you always have to have the railroad track story if you're going to have a ghost town. And this one is actually a police report by a local man. He saw, he pulls up to the tracks. The arms aren't down, but he sees this eerie light on the track. So he thinks a train's coming and maybe the arms aren't working. So he's waiting and waiting. And he's thinking, what the heck? So he gets out of his car. He looks down the track, just that he feels the wind move past him as if a train had just gone. But there's no sound. There's no train. And then here's the kicker. He sees this headless man in overalls waving a lantern. Headless? Oh, my God. Headless man in his overalls, waving a lantern. He gets back in his car. He goes to the police station, tells them what's going on. They go back down there. They're, you know, they're investigating. They, they verify he wasn't drinking. He wasn't on drugs or anything. You know, they made, they had to make the formal report because, you know, they were there. And I I did go on a ghost tour while I was there. And I'm going to go off onto a different thing now. Her name was Morticia Manson. Morticia? Morticia Manson. <laughs> and she swears that's her real name. Uh-huh. And she used to work in a morgue. And now she works for Houston Ghost Tours. And she was she was a wonderful, wonderful tour guide. But she said when she was up giving first started giving tours, that she got to that point of the tour and started to tell the story. And the gentleman was in the crowd and he he stepped up and corrected the things that she wasn't saying right about this headless person. Oh, this is this is another you know, Diane, you always say that you go down rabbit holes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I have bunny bungalows. I mean, I don't just go down them. I live there. You know, it's like I take up residency because I go off into these all Oh my God. I am totally stealing that bunny bungalows. Well, I just move in. You know, it's like now I don't even remember where, where I was at in the story because I, I got off onto all these other stories. But while I'm while I'm down there in the bungalow, fun fact, Randy Wood, who was the former assistant press secretary for President Gerald Ford, was the person that put together the first ghost tours in spring in 1999. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, these are some legitimate people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the train track leads me to the depot. This is even going to get better. So, in 1915, when the hurricane came through, their train depot had been so devastated they had to tear it down because it was unsafe. So they needed a new depot. So lo and behold, they found a train depot in Lovelady, Texas. And they're like, yes, we'll sell this to you. And so they bring it and they they plop it down in spring. Fright fact, shortly after the lady Lovelady Depot was built, a switchman who was switching trains on the tracks realized that one of the trains had been switched going the wrong way, and he was running down the track, waving his lantern, yelling, trying to get this train to stop. He fell and was decapitated. His body was taken inside the depot and laid for whatever reason, and that's the depot that got moved to spring. So they're thinking his ghost is attached to the depot, and now this is the headless thing they're seeing walking around. Yes. Gotcha. And actually, both places tell of, of seeing the same apparition, the same exact, I mean, the, the coveralls, the lantern. Mm-hmm. The whole. So 
I guess he goes back and forth from the two places. I'm not quite sure. But why would they move a depot that's already supposedly haunted? Or maybe they didn't know. Or they just hoped that it wasn't really haunted. Oh, uh, no, this one's a, this one's a pretty common one. But, it, it, you know, you always have the story of the locked door from the inside. Yes. Um, well, it was the Noble Street Tattoo Parlor. The owner is Timmy Phil, um, Tommy. And in fact, I, I walked in, did the same thing when I had the book. I'm like, oh, you must be Timmy Phillips. And he's like, no, I'm Tommy. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so anyway, Tommy Phillips, grand opening. He gets this, he finally gets his own tattoo shop and he's opening it up in spring and has keg of beer and other adult beverages and all of his friends and everybody's there. And of course, there's only one bathroom in, in the place. And somebody's like, I can't get in the bathroom. I can't get in the bathroom. So he's like, all right, first he gets nervous. Maybe somebody's had something too much to drink. Maybe somebody's fallen, hit their head. Maybe somebody's sick. He starts and he's pounding. Nobody's answering the door. He doesn't know what to do. Kicks in the door and the door had been bolted from the inside because it pulled off that latch loop from the other side when he kicked it open. There's no other way out of the building. I mean, out of that room and no one's in there. And now I will quote, I will quote Tommy's words exactly. He said, it was as freaky as hell. And well, I, I just, mean, I, I can believe that because the way you're talking about it, this is one of those eye hooks and you put the little hook into it. That doesn't yes. just fall that way or I don't know, get stuck that way. Because no, it kind of clicks in if you've ever, yeah. they're not that loose. So, yeah. And, and he's standing there telling me, you know, it's like, I am telling you the truth. This is what happened. Takes me back. I see the bathroom. Yeah, like I said, you know, if you do your homework and you know the people, he showed me this one wall. I send you pictures of that. It, it's just really freaky. It looks like, I, I don't know, the the whole building is, is really freaky. But, you know, he took me in the back room, took me in the bathroom, showed me, you know, all the different areas in the back and his little stories of, you know, of the different things. Yeah. It was fun. He was fun. Great place. Okay, now we have the death of the courting couple. Every every place always has that, you know, that young couple that dies. There's a mansion, or at that time it was a mansion. It's called Whitehall. It was originally built in 1895, and the family, the Mintz family, built it for $300. And it's now the Spirit Quest Shop. And this was another couple that when I went in and I knew their names and I knew what was going on and, and I told them they were in the book. And they were like, well, we heard about that, but we haven't seen the book yet. So I gave them the book, of course, got their autographs and <laughs> let them read while I was looking in the store. They, they read their chapter that was in the book. And both of them said, yeah, I can't argue with anything that, that's written here. But the history of this building, like I said, it was, it was built in 1895. In the 1900s, it was a boarding house. In 1920s, it was a family resident. 1930s, it was a funeral home. 1940s, it was an apartment. In the 50s, it was a church slash school. You're going to like this one, Denise. In the 60s, it was a hippie commune. And it was, right. it was called the Bell Bottom House. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the 70s, it was, it was commercial offices or whatever. But this is a great thing. Outside the front door, before you walk in, there is a handwritten note, and it's in a glass case, and it's from the owners. I, I believe it's the owners that own it now. And it says, this house was never grand, just simple and well-constructed building. 
with one secret room, but it tells no secrets. I see my home as a kind, forgiving old lady. Well, about the secret room, it was one of these places that had a spirit room. The way they described it to me, I, they couldn't take me up because there were so many people in the store at the time. But it, it's just like the size of a large closet, maybe. And that was where there would be seances. And that's where they would do spiritual readings. And and nothing has ever been changed in that room. That it, That room stays exactly the way it was. Outside of this grand Victorian home is a dove cage. And it is a two-story dove cage. It's the size of, I would say, an elevator chute. Oh, wow. And it goes up the entire side of the building because the people that built this house were very much into the, the spiritual things. And supposedly, you could tell when the spirits were active because the doves would start cooing and they would like almost start singing together, lots of cooing and the noises. And they, they would know that the, the spirits were present and then that's when they would do whatever they did <laughs> with trying to contact the spirit. In 1933, a couple that was engaged to be married, were they were in a car accident. The man drove off a bridge and they were killed when the car hit the bottom of the ravine. There was a hiker that found them the next day. Of course, the bodies were taken to Whitehall, the, the building that I've been talking about, um, because at that time it was a funeral home. And it had a huge turnout. I mean, the entire town and even towns adjoining those towns turned out because they were they were young, they were beautiful, they were in love. It was it was just a tragic, tragic story. People believe that they, they never left. And there's a lot of activity. And you're downstairs. No one's upstairs. You hear noises. You hear them walking. People always talk about the full body up apparition and it's not one it's always it's always a man woman together but the biggest thing that happens there is there's an upstairs porch like on some victorian homes had and there's a porch swing and it can be the most still night there is and you can look up there and you can see that wooden porch swing swinging and the owners that that I met when I was there said it, it's real. It, it it just happens. There's not a breeze in the air, and that swing will just start swinging. This is Sedona Joe's, and it's a frame shop, and it's owned by Scott and Brian Melton. Love these guys. They're I don't know how long they've been married, but they are are each other's yin and yang. They are so sweet. In fact, stood there talking to them long enough that one of them actually did. Go get a bottle of wine. Brought it out, opened up. We're standing there at the counter, <laughs> enjoying a glass of wine, telling these stories. You know, because I was just like, "Tell me everything. Just tell me everything." They have a little girl that is there, and they have toys that they have underneath the framing bench, and they're always moved. They at, at Christmas time they had. Um, you know those little tea lights that are electric or battery operated and they have that little switch on the bottom yeah and they had like a, a ton of them they weren't not part of the decoration but they were part of things that were for sale you know like like arrangements and things and and they were in it and they came in one time and all of them were on and they were both standing there looking like like I know you're not believing me but they were on. And, you know, you have to pull out that little plastic tab first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And it's like they everyone in the store was on. That is weird. Yeah. Were the plastic tabs missing? Yes. These guys, I mean, 
I don't know. They seemed very credible. I mean, it was, it was, they said one time though, that they came in and there was a candle burning. They really scolded her about that one. And they, they never had a candle lit again because that would be really bad. Yeah. Don't burn the place down. Yeah. Don't, don't burn the place down because you won't have any place to live. Yeah. And I, I spoke to Diane about this one before, but this is the greater church of Lucifer. Oh yes. It opened October 31st of 2015, closed shortly after in 2016. The protesters were like something you would see out of a movie with the signs and the bullhorns and the crying and the spring. And the tempers blew up so bad. The police were called like daily. People traveled from all over the United States just to be a part of this protest. And they filled the street and they filled all the way around this building to the point that they were shoulder to shoulder, that if anybody wanted to get into the building, they couldn't. They spoke to the uh, co-president. His name was Michael Ford. And he said that it was their right to open that church, that it was the freedom of a religion, and that they wanted to coexist with the people in spring, and that they weren't letting them. And he said that this is a quote from his his statement. We don't sacrifice animals or worship the devil, devil, even though that's what everybody believes is happening here. We have gatherings, end quote, gatherings. They are not services and we do not preach. The people pretty much ran them out of town. Um, well, it is Texas. I can imagine they weren't real hip to the satanic church right in the middle of the city. Well, no. I mean, it, it really, really flared up everybody. Bottom line, the protesting went on and on and on. The building started to get vandalized. It actually came down to death threats. And then just one night in the middle of the night, it was empty. They they just left. This is another really strange thing about spring. Another one, what I call the, another fright fact is you hear about towns, the sidewalk rolls up at dark. It really does there. Nobody lives in spring. I can't say Nobody, because sometimes shop owners that when they first establish a shop, they may live upstairs or some of the shops have places. So if it's a long weekend or a big event or things are going on, they do have sleeping quarters there. But there's no really housing in spring. I mean, nobody lives there. I mean, it's just at dark. It's it's completely empty. So it really is. So when you go on a ghost tour, which was... God love my my kids for doing this, actually going with me because it was Christmas weekend. I think it was a day after Christmas. It was freezing in Houston. It was like 30 degrees. And and, and they're like, no, we'll go with you. You know, we'll, you wanted to do this. I had been sick. Everyone had been sick. And they still, <laughs> they pacified me. They went on this ghost tour. We were walking around down the streets and across the streets, up on yards and looking in windows. And there's nobody there. I mean, we were the only people in spring while we were doing this this tour. After I'd gone on the ghost tour, then it was the next day. I thought, well, I'm just going to go back and, you know, spend an hour or two in spring before, you know, I headed home to Iowa. And it turned into a 10-hour day. I mean, I, I just, I couldn't leave the place. I just kept going from shop to shop and hearing the stories. And the only place that I found, well, actually, it's the next thing on my, my list, it was the Black Sheep Bistro. And they're not really in the town. They're just the outskirts of town. And they were still open. And they're a restaurant. But it used to be a house or, or something. And they have their little ghost 
people. They believe that they are children as well. People report getting scratched or bitten, but it's not mean. It's kind of like a playful. around. Yeah, like a toddler mm. kid oh. type. You know, little bites on on their legs or little scratches or, or things. And the staff was, again, I'll say the name of it, it was the, the Black Sheep Bistro. And the food was amazing um, because everything is just, I mean, it's so small. When you first walk in, their little bar area, maybe six people can sit there. Oh, wow. And the, the next area is the dining room. I don't know, maybe six to 10 tables maximum that are in there. Very small. But they, I mean, they, they do definitely take care of you like you're the only one there. They were, it, the food was, like I said, the food was amazing. The little hostess that I, I was talking to about this and she was going through my book and she was taking pictures and she was sending them to people because she had no idea that any of this stuff was in a book. She actually, when she got off work, she asked if we would stay, took us back through the town and showed me different places and told me different stories. Back in the day when it was still Camp Spring and when it was a railroad town, there was a man and he was killing children and he was dropping them down a well. But they have a well there now that when you're on your ghost tour and stuff, you know, they they, they tell the story and you're by a well. But they also tell you that that's not the real well. The well that actually these things happened is enclosed, filled in, and it's under a home probably oh, two or three blocks away from where this well is. But the freaky thing was the next day when I went back after the, the tour and I had a little EMF detector, you know, I'm being a real ghostbuster and it went off crazy at this well. You know, I know that's all electrical. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what would have caused that, but that, that was kind of freaky. Okay, now the jailhouse. It's called the Jailhouse Saloon. And this really doesn't, I don't really have any ghost stories about it, but it's a fun story place. The jailhouse sat empty for about 30 years. The new owners turned it into the saloon and restaurant. The restaurant is in where the jailhouse used to be, but the prisoners were actually kept in a caboose next to the building. And that caboose is still there. And just the strip of tracks that run underneath it are still there. You couldn't get in it. To me, it appeared that it was uh, either a cooking area or a prep station or something, because you saw a lot of staff people coming in and out of it, but there was no access to get into it. But it, it's really kind of cool seeing this caboose just sitting there on these little tracks <laughs> next to the saloon. And they have a really good outside area, like picnic table type things, you know, where you can have dinner and stuff. So actually the first place I visited when I was there was the church cemetery. And I went there before I went to the ghost tour. And I just, because of the book, I had seen that it was just outside of spring. So I went there. It's sadly neglected. It was designated as a Texas historic landmark in 2001. It's really sad because the majority of the graves that are there are children, probably because of the the yellow fever that had gone through. It, It was amazing. I saw several tombstones next to each other that were actually twins that had died. And some of them were like within days of each other, Mm. you know, their dates, there were brothers and sisters, like within a year of of each other. There's a Confederate soldier that is buried there. I don't know how many, but I know there is one and somebody still comes out and puts a Confederate flag next to his, his headstone. In 1999, Harris College honor students actually came in and did a restoration community 
project, a community service project, and they cleaned it up and uh, mowed things and took care of things. But it really needs to be done again. It's it's like overgrown stuff. Yeah, and actually, that there is a church still there, and it, it happened to be the day that that I got to Texas and went in there. It was a Sunday, and there were services going on. I mean, so the church is still active, but the little, you know, graveyard behind it is just, nobody's taking care of it. I don't, I'm not quite sure why. This this is another really strange story. The founding fathers, I told you, who are the the Wanchi family, there is the Wanchi family cemetery. And that was established in 1838. It's a very small plot of land. And I, I don't know if I can even do justice to try to give you a visual of what this is. It's highway I-45, your five-lane highway. And then, I don't know, in Michigan and in, in Iowa, we call them the frontage road, where it's really, Runs it's just alongside. the road. Yeah. I mean, and I think there they call it Fetter Road. And there's this little strip of land that is almost in a pie shape that is between it, the highway and this road. And it's a cemetery. Hmm. And it's got the Iron Gate arch that says Wunchy Family Cemetery. You go in and they have parking. Probably two vehicles might be able to fit on that parking pad. And it's a dangerous thing to pull off the road to try to get into it. And even more dangerous when you're trying to pull out because it's like you're a nuisance. You know, I mean, because people are like, why are you doing that? Why are Mm -hmm. you? And but I did twice, actually. My son on our way to the ghost tour, he said, oh, you're going to want to see this, mom. So he he took me there and it was dark and we pulled in. That wasn't too bad at night when, you know, for him to pull over. Uh, I, you know, I went and I went through it and. And then the next day, I went back again because I wanted to see it in the light. And there's graves there that are from 1885 to 1959. There's probably fewer than 20 graves there. Hmm. And one she name is, is the dominant name that's in there. And the thing I don't, I don't get is that the one she name is so prominent still in spring in that area. I mean, there's schools named after them. There's buildings named after them. There's parks named after them. And this little cemetery is just like a all overgrown. Nobody goes there. The, everything is, 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 you know, falling apart. Yeah. You would think that since these are basically the founders, they would make it more of a tourist kind of thing. And- well, what happened was that, you know, due to the age of the the Wunchy family and because of the land demands and, you know, the family was dying off and stuff, they were pressured into selling a lot of property. And they finally gave in, but they said the only way that they would sell that multi-acreage of land was that the family cemetery would remain intact indefinitely. So they honored that part of the contract. It's still there, but there's five lane highway on one side. There's a frontage road on the other and nobody's doing anything with it. But I guess they honored it. Well, they that's kept good. It. They didn't yeah. pave over it because that's what they tend to do when they bring a road through. They just pave over it and go. Yeah, it's, well. it's really strange. It's, it's you know, when you're standing in a cemetery and, and there's semis and cars, and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, this is just really weird. <laughs> One of the last people that were buried there, and this was this was a, a tragic thing. It was Olena Wunchi. Uh, she was the granddaughter of Carl, and Carl was one of the the founding fathers. She and her boyfriend were murdered in on May sixth in nineteen twenty nine. Both of them were at the age of twenty. They had gone to Houston to have 
you know, just a fun night that turned wrong. They went out for drinking and dancing and just having fun. And they went to a lover's lane area. And the next day, the boyfriend was found shot to death in the car. And Olena was found miles away. She had been raped and killed and just uh. thrown into a ditch. She was she was one of the last of the, the actual 1G family there. So that, that was sad. Yeah. So now my story. I had told Diane this one before, but when we were there on the tour, there there's also, I mean, there are so many places I haven't even touched on. I mean, the places that, that I just told you about are not, maybe a third, maybe a fourth of the stories of, that are there, the, the different places that are in this book. Um, and I went to most of them. Some of them were closed by the time I got to them because I told you everything, you know, rolls up pretty early there. When we were there, there is a gazebo. The gazebo was built because there had been a young woman. This story is kind of, I can't remember real well. I believe she was going to be a bride or, or something. Anyway, she, she was killed and left in this park. And a gazebo was built in her honor. And supposedly people have all these feelings and, you know, and different things, you know, attached to this gazebo. Of course me, I got to go. I, I, I need to be in the gazebo. Let me, let me get up there. So I'm, I'm up there and I'm standing there and I'm looking around. And my daughter-in-law, she says, well, let me take a picture of you. And I'm like, okay. And she could not get the flash on her camera to work for anything. She tried my camera. I mean, my phone flash would not work. And it's like, what the heck? Well, and I did tell you, I did show you a picture of it too. A little stinker. She, she did. It's not with a flash, but she took a picture of me and then she imposed that little ghost behind me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's a stinker. But we, but then we get back in the car after we, we, we finish the tour. Both can both, both phones worked fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it was just, it was very strange. That was a little story. Now here's, here's the big story. I really don't know what to make of it completely. Like I said, every, everyone's gone. There's no, there's no cars. It was the only people. And actually there was myself, my son, Tad, his wife, Taryn, and my friend, Todd, that went on this tour. And there was only another couple or four other people in another vehicle that were the only people that were in spring. We get done with the tour. We're leaving and we head down and there's, it's like the only road that you can go on to head out of town. And we're going and we get to the stop sign just before the stop sign where the railroad tracks is. We didn't see the headless guy, but we look over, my daughter-in-law sees this girl and she's sitting on the, she's not even, she's sitting on the sidewalk, but the sidewalk comes out all the way to the street. She's actually sitting in the street. Her legs are actually in the street and she is sobbing. I mean, not crying. She is sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> Terrence says, Tad, stop, go back. You have to go you back up, back up. So I was on that side of the vehicle. So I put the window down and I said, are you okay? And she just kept sobbing and sobbing. I goes, is there anything I can do? And, and she just kind of looks up and, and she just said, my boyfriend's coming back. And the, the first impression I got was she looked kind of goth. I mean, I, I don't mean like heavy makeup or but I mean, she was pale. She had dark clothes on. She had totally not dressed for the weather because like I told you, it was 30, 40 degrees. And she was in shorter pants, short sleeves, no jacket, no Mm. coat, no purse, nothing. And she's just sobbing. And I said, well, can I call somebody for you? And she just, she wouldn't look up anymore. She just kept crying. I said, well, 
take care, hon. You know, I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, so we start to put up the window. We start to leave. We get to the railroad tracks. And my daughter-in-law again says, go back. You have to go back. And he did a three-point turn in the middle of the street. I was surprised he did it. And went, she was gone. Just gone. Oh my there God, was, you probably were talking to a full-bodied apparition. There was no cars. There was oh, my no, God. Oh, there was nothing. We went very slow down the street. We were looking down alleys. We were looking down. I mean, no cars had passed. And there was only this one road. Then we kind of all just got quiet. It was like nobody said anything. We got back to my son's house. And it was just kind of like, what the you hell think was about that? <laughs> what did wow. you think about that? And, and nobody, nobody knew what to think about. Mm-hmm. But then it was, like I said, the next day when I went back to spring and it was at the the wine envy tasting room and i told her what i shared with this girl that what had happened and i said you know have you ever heard anything about that or whatever and she said well i can't say for sure but the other side of the tracks there is a a trailer court and it's pretty run down and it's known for prostitution over there mm-hmm. and she said let's just say sometimes girls go out don't come back oh my god you know so at first i'm thinking she's trying she's telling me that you know this i I probably saw a prostitute you know but just the way she was dressed she was she was just not dressed for the evening she didn't have the right clothes on she had no purse she had no phone she had nothing and then she was gone yeah and even if she had gotten up and walked over to this area where they supposedly are setting up shop It just seems if you're sobbing, it takes you a minute to kind of let me get myself together, get up and start walking. And it just doesn't seem like she would have had enough time for all that. Well, if she would have been going back to that area that they had told me about, she would have had to have gone past us because we were we were we were between her and that area. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, so we just pulled out. And like I said, when when my daughter-in-law said, you know go back. I mean, she was just, just very, she just felt something go back. And he didn't question it. He didn't say, Oh, you know, leave her alone. You know, she's, she's upset. He just, he just stopped the vehicle. He did a three point turn right there in the street, headed back. Wow. Well, I mean, if that was really a ghost, you not only got the Holy Grail, you talked to it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a jewel studded Holy Grail. Yes, yes, yes. No, it, I, she really, I don't know. I guess the only thing why it hit me in my mind when I thought, gosh, she looks goth. It was just because she was just really pale and dressed in black. You know, I mean, I didn't see any other thing that would have would have made me feel that way. I, I just didn't know what to think about it. Like I said, all, driving home, nobody, nobody said anything. It was just like we were all thinking in our minds, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to tell you about when I met Kathy Nance, the the author of of the book, she went above and beyond to meet with me. You know, we we had talked about this prior to me going to Houston and I get down there and like I said, it's it's Christmas weekend. She she texted and she said, "Well, are you available?" She, her and her husband invited me to go to karaoke with them, <laughs> and she's like, "If that's what we got to do to me," but I, I couldn't do that. And so she wound up meeting me like at a Little Caesars the next night. Just a wonderful, wonderful girl. She loves the town. She she's very familiar with it, and she covers everything so well. I guess if anybody was to ever go there, I would 
completely say, read the book. It's neat that they embrace it because there's a lot of places that are kind of like, let's downplay it or I don't know. Dolly, thank you so much for suggesting this to us and coming on and sharing all of those fabulous stories. Uh, Thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, I can't believe I actually got to talk to you guys. (laughs) Yeah, we're like in your ears and you can have us going back and forth with you. It's not just us talking at you. Oh, I know it. You know, and what's crazy is because I started at your number one episode and went forward. So I listened to you all day, every day for a long time, you know, while I was working. And then I got to the point where like, now I have to wait for the next one to come out. It's like, this isn't fun. You're like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, you know, I liked it when I had, you know, a, five a or lot six of- a day. Ah, I was, you know, so. Well, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. And I know we'll be meeting up with you at some point. Oh, I know I'll do a meetup. And I actually, like I told you, I have uh, um, 217 booked at the Stanley. And I plan on getting you video and pictures from awesome. that. Good. And I have uh, the Lavender Room uh, booked at uh, the Limp. The Limp. Cool. So I will get video and pictures of that. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, you have a great night, Dolly. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. 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 Spring is a quaint little town that sounds like a fun excursion off the beaten path. A welcome respite from the big city of Houston. Could many of these shops really be haunted by ghosts of the past they brought with them when they were moved to town? Is Old Town Spring haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, I can't believe we missed this town when we were passing through Houston. I am so bummed. Dolly did send me Kathy Nance's book about haunted Old Town Spring, and I'm looking forward to diving into that and finding out more about it. And definitely if I'm in the area again, I will be doing a ghost tour there for sure. I want to encourage you guys to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. This weekend, I went out and saw the movie A Quiet Place. Oh, my God. What an amazing film. If you have not seen this, you really must. Even if you're not into horror movies, I think you'll love it. It starts with a bang, kept me on the edge of my seat, and even had me crying took me through a whole bunch of emotions. So I just loved it. It was very original. So I highly recommend it. Also want to thank everybody for your feedback on our concentration camp episode. We heard from so many of you that you were thankful that we had done this. And so I'm glad that we decided to go ahead and do it. And we heard from a lot of you about how your kids are being educated about this in school. And we heard the gamut. Some of you said your kids are finding out about it in school. Others of you said that you're teaching your children about it. And then the main thing we seemed to hear a lot of was that kids were being taught it into middle school, but not in high school. And that the films that we saw as teenagers back in the day a long time ago aren't being shown anymore. And then after I got a lot of that feedback, I saw that there was an article, I believe it was in the New York Times, talking about a statistic where 51% of people were unaware about a lot of this stuff. And that to me is a scary statistic because we know as we go on into the future and this starts to fall off the rails, that number is going to go up with more people forgetting or not learning about the Holocaust. And it was pointed out by some of you as well that there is genocide going on around the world still to this day. Of course, not to the numbers and during a world war like we had with the Holocaust, but there is definitely genocide out there for sure. Erica wrote to us and it said, Ladies, I'm so thankful that you chose to do an episode on Nazi concentration camps, even though your reticence is completely understandable. 
Just after graduating high school in 2005, my senior class took a trip to Europe and we visited Dachau. It's an experience I'll never forget. As soon as you step through the famous gates, Arbe mocked free, and I'm sure I butchered that, it feels physically impossible to experience any form of positive emotion. We were all joking and laughing all the way over, and as soon as we stepped over the threshold, not even thoughts of my parents could get me to smile. The air is heavier there, as if the weight of the sorrow of millions had permanently altered the atmosphere. I also had an eerie technological experience. On the bus trip over, I was making sure that my video camera was working properly because I knew my parents wanted to see Dachau as well. The battery was full and everything was working until the bus stopped in front of the doors and it suddenly shut off and wouldn't turn back on. When I got back to the hotel and plugged it in, I discovered my full battery had suddenly completely drained. That battery worked perfectly well for the remainder of the trip. Perhaps I wasn't meant to film it. With all of the energy that's there, I would not doubt that it would sap the energy from batteries. And then we heard from Joe about our Keith Albee episode. He said, I enjoy the show, and as someone who attended Marshall University and lived in Huntington for a few years, I wanted to chime in on a few things on this episode. My roommate was a part-time employee there, and I saw quite a few movies and plays there. I can assure you that the talk of the supernatural aspect of the theater is very real, to the point where my girlfriend at the time would ask me to follow her to the bathroom anytime she needed to go mid-show. Obviously, I did not follow her in, but she went once by herself and did in fact feel followed and terrified to go alone. As for myself, I too can vouch for this feeling. While I believe in the supernatural now, at the time, this was 2003 to 2007, I did not. Once I was seeing a movie with a friend and got up to use the restroom and get some popcorn. The lights in the bathroom flickered on and off, and while I did not see any apparitions, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I absolutely did feel followed. There was a strange feeling to wandering the halls of the place in search of the restroom. I can't quite describe it, but it did not feel comfortable. When it came to visiting the concession stands, I couldn't resist asking the guy there about the supernatural, and he cut me off immediately. He did not want to discuss it. Same with my aforementioned roommate. He firmly believed that the place was haunted and swears he did not see any apparitions, but refused to answer any questions I had about the place. I asked him twice, and the look on his face was enough to not ask for a third time. Overall, the place is beautiful. Seeing a film in the balcony is gorgeous, and while the seats are uncomfortable to say the least, it's worth checking out. It feels like a trip back in time to be there. Even the films I saw had intermissions. The ceiling almost felt like looking at the Sistine Chapel. Regardless, tunnels or not, the place is certainly haunted, and it was a delight to see the name pop up in my podcast feed. And then he made a suggestion for another location in West Virginia. So thank you, Joe, for your email. And now we have some reviews from Apple Podcasts. First one up is Citrus Sunshine, Hauntings History and the Weird, five stars. We get a deep dive into the history of each place, plus hearing the ghost stories. And I love the Moment Noddity segment and This Month in History. They add great bits of information. Thank you. Tattoo121274, love the podcast, five stars. I've recently started listening to this podcast and I absolutely love it. The hosts are fantastic and funny. I started with episode one and I'm slowly catching up to the present date. I work for an auto parts warehouse and it helps with my long days on the road. Well, thank you for tuning in. And Hobbit Sailwinch, love to listen when I'm at the office, five stars. I love the way you combine history and spooky stuff. It's right up my alley. I love listening while I'm in the office. Shout out to Chris in Albania. Thank you for that. Want to thank you all for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. Grave Digger, we don't have anybody coming into the cemetery this week. So, you get the week off. Have fun, big guy. That's swell. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. 
Thank you.